The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome to the Rebel Podcast. Peanut, Pooty, Garage Mahal, glorious day. The sun is shining. It is the a world, glorious day. The world is great. Dave's here working the knobs and the dials for us. Where do we get the knobs and dials thing from? I have no idea, but I like it. I'm and like it. anything else, once we get going, we are creatures of habit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we just continue to do the same thing yep. over and over. It even feels weird if I say the names in a different order. Like if I say like Chris and Peanate. Yep. It just doesn't feel right. You know what's funny is just before Dave started recording, you yawned and you're like, feel free to leave that in. Talking about being creatures of habit, several times that we've come out, we stop and get these sandwiches at the Village Deli, which is just the, the greatest sandwiches ever. And yeah. they give you massive sandwiches, lots of fries. So we're just tired and exhausted <laughs> by the time we've eaten all the all the, all our gigantic lunch. I don't usually need dinner after like a recording day. So yeah, so we are definitely creatures of habit. But if Pootie starts yawning, if one of us falls asleep and the other person has to uh, take it on. <laughs> we both yawned. I, I yawned when he was talking. And so Nate had no choice. Yeah, that's um, funny. So that's funny. Yeah. Uh, there was, do you remember, like, I don't know, this must have been like episode like 40 or something where we, we decided one time to do evening recording. Oh man, like, that was brutal. And like we like we brought a couple of pints and but like we were just like so tired because we we're just like dead tired at the, in the evening. At the end of the day, like, yeah. I this know. was a terrible idea. I remember it was actually a Matt Chandler sermon of all things. Like talk about all uh, guys who were very formative and helpful for us for a season and then went off the rails in certain ways. That's not what this yeah. episode is about. No, that isn't about. Can I comment on that though? Please. Um, yeah. Sure. <laughs> just like, sure. Why not? Just recently, somebody was talking to me about like canceling guys like Platt and the guy who was talking was like Piper, Platt, Chandler, all these guys. I was thinking about that. I took all that away and be like, I wouldn't sit down and listen to like, I'll use David Platt because he was one of the guys that I think I've talked about in the podcast before. I wouldn't probably listen to him today. Mm. He still was very impactful for all the sermons that I listened to up until then. So I'd be like, I'm not actually a fan of like, I cancel everything he ever did. No, neither am I. I, um, it was funny. I was actually at a friend who was also a pastor's office the other day. He had five Ravi Zacharias books on the table had been taken out of his bookshelf. And he said, oh yeah, he's taking them out of his library. And I was like, oh yeah. And he was just like, yeah. He's like, well, the last thing I want is for, you know, a woman who's maybe been abused or, or gone through difficulty, see them on my bookshelf and, you know, get the wrong idea. Okay, so noble of intentions, right? Those are good intentions. I don't think that we are necessarily on the hook for catering to everybody's how something will make them feel. And COVID's actually done yeah. a really bad job at, at making everybody feel as though other people are responsible for how they feel. But I'm with you on that. I don't think we should cancel books. I still give out good books by guys like, you know, Driscoll wrote a couple of good books. 
David Platt wrote a couple of good books, at least one. Matt, Ch- well, yeah, no, there's counterculture he's, he's and radical. To somebody who's sort of working their way through reform soteriology, Matt Chandler is probably more accessible than a John Piper would be. But a lot of their early teaching on that stuff is solid, right? So I'm with you. I don't think we need to cancel people who eventually go off the rails. I think we need to look at each body of work, right? And people have short memories for this stuff because like Martin Luther said some pretty crazy stuff, especially near the end of his life. I actually think that that there might have been some sort of like dementia or, or, you know, that sort of thing that was going on because some of the things that he said near the end of his life, specifically about Jews were pretty harsh, pretty awful. And yet we don't cancel him and and all of the work he did. He still believed in transubstantiation, right? And yet his bondage to the will is is one of like the reformed books to read. So I'm with you. I don't think we need to cancel. Beauty. Tangent over. Well, actually, (laughs) I'm not tangent over. One moment. Because the other thing I do want to say is like, I think there's a danger when we are guilty of the same thing that we're accusing other people of. Cancel culture is awful. And Christian cancel culture is even worse. And sometimes we can get into that whole idea like where it's super cool if you are really, really picky about, you know, whether it's the songs that you sing or the books that you recommend or whatever, as if the person has to meet a particular reformed standard in order to be considered worthwhile material. You have to judge a particular work based on it. And that just means you got to hand somebody a book. I hand people N.T. Wright books. I think he's got justification kind of screwed up. But you hand it to them with a caveat of like, I like some of this guy's work. I don't like all of it. Or or like you give them a Matt Chandler book and say, I wouldn't be listening to his more recent sermons. But, you know, here's a guy who for a long time did some really solid things. Yeah, I think that's a very good point, too, because I know this happens even like with my wife, who's a huge reader. You know, sometimes I have to stick with the authors that I know or that have been recommended like by you or by me or whoever, because she's like, I just don't want to read something that's not worth the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. And she's like, I like, I get that. But like, there's also that like, like I, I, I say this, I realize I'm talking about my like, honey, like you have great discernment. Like you can, you can spot the lie. You can hear the, the right. falsehood. So you could even read a book by early Rob Bell and like be like, okay, all that stuff was right and disregard the part that was not good. N.T. Wright was probably a better example because he's a guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He does have some... Some pretty solid stuff. Exactly. Some of the stuff on like on The Resurrection, resurrection. he's brilliant. But I don't like his opinions on Paul. So like take it with a grain of salt. But you can read that and understand and, and have discernment, which is like you know, one of the things we're supposed to have, right? Like, Yeah, absolutely. Um, so if all we're doing is reading trusted authors and we only read them because, I'm not saying Heather does this, but, and we're only reading them because somebody has said, this is solid, read this, then we're actually not cultivating discernment, right? We're not building up our discernment by reading some things that need to be discerned. You yeah. know what I mean? Now, everything ought to be discerned, but we can fall into that trap of like, well, if that person recommended this to me, it must be right. So anyway, yeah. tangent over. Tangent over. Okay. Fine. All right. Who are Good. we though? Oh yeah. Yeah. We're the rebels. This is the rebel podcast, P Nate and Pootie. And uh, we are part of the fight, laugh, feast network. And I would encourage you, if you are not a club member, you can go to fight, laugh, feast, FL, FL, network.com and you can become a club member that just means that you get access to some extra content but you're also supporting the network and supporting all the good stuff that it's doing i would encourage you to download the app the fight laugh feast app you can hear our podcast there 
and you can actually uh, get notifications whenever a new episode pops and all that kind of stuff. I would recommend all the podcasts on this network are worth you checking out. Use your discernment, (laughs) but they are all worth checking out. Use the discernment, mostly for the things I say. (laughs) (laughs) I I thought you were going to bust out the baby baptism gloves again, but uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, Pudi's still ready to have that tussle with somebody, but... Whoever's willing. Yeah, um, so we had some ideas for what we want to talk about today. And like a lot of our episodes, this was birthed out of a five-minute conversation over here. Uh, we joke about that too often, but it was birthed out of some questions that we we get. Like, obviously, we like it when people interact with us, shoot us Facebook messages, respond, you know, get get interactive on the posts online, all that kind of stuff. Because a lot of what we do, a lot of our content is actually driven by questions that we get and responses and even some pushback that we get. Realistically, we're doing another post mill episode. I apologize. It's just what we talk about. <laughs> it's fine. It's Aren't they all kind of post mill though? Like when you're post millennial, it, it colors everything, right? Well, when you're in the room, that's how this works. <laughs> Fair <so. enough. laughs> but what, one of the questions that we get asked a lot, and part of this is because we have a lot of new people at the church again, and they ask questions. And so in a few sermons, I mentioned something. The last time you preached, you mentioned this, and you got some questions about it. And that is that you and I actually believe that we are living on the new earth (laughs) and the new heavens and the new earth have already been inaugurated. (gasps) Gasp. Dave, if you want, you can put a little audience gasp right there. (laughs) This is where everybody either stops listening or continues. Um, Yeah, so we believe that the new heavens and the new earth have been inaugurated. We are not awaiting the day when there's a new heavens and a new earth being inaugurated. So let me just walk you down what I think the sort of default protestant evangelical view is we're living on the earth this earth is destined for destruction that obviously and and we've debunked kind of debunked well we've we've offered our criticism of the dispensational rapture view several times you don't need to get into all of that but the general idea is that this world was created sin entered it all that kind of stuff jesus came into this world paid the price for humanity died a substitutionary death but that this world is going to continue to get worse and worse until the time when jesus raptures the church off of the earth at that time it gets rapidly worse even though it's already been going to hell in a handbasket now it really is Antichrist, you know, one world government, that whole thing. God comes, destroys the earth, comes back with the Christians and remakes a new earth. And that new earth is where Christians spend eternity. We don't believe that. In fact, we don't believe almost anything I just said. (laughs) (laughs) Everything you just said there was wrong. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. So we believe the meek inherit the earth, not the Antichrist. We believe that this world that God created is a good world and that our future and our eternity is actually spent on this world. And we also believe that this world has been fundamentally and foundationally changed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so because we didn't do a whole lot of (laughs) prepping for this episode, I think you and I are on the same page here. You believe that the new heavens and the new earth was inaugurated at the resurrection of Christ. Yeah, when he walked out of the grave. Amen. Okay, he, we're on the same page. Yeah, I, like, that could so have been like, awkward. Just so people don't necessarily know what we're what we're saying is like when sin entered the world, that cursed man, but it also cursed the earth. Yep. And so the thorns earth was, and thistles—they exactly. are part of the curse. Part of the curse. So the world was dying because the right. the result of the curse is death. Right. So we That's all right. everybody agrees to that. History gets worse, 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 all the way down to the resurrection. Well, what does a resurrection do for us? 
it breaks the curse in our lives, right? Amen. It, it defeats sin. Sin isn't eradicated completely from our hearts, but the ability to overcome sin has been has been done. The antidote has been given to us. Well, the same thing then would apply that the world has been saved by the same thing that saved us. Right. Um, the curse has been reversed, but not completely removed yet. Right. Okay. So you just used a great analogy that I use often as well. And so it's that idea. So think of the curse, think of sin as a poison, right? You're bit by a snake. That's on theme two here, right? Mm-hmm. You're bit by a snake. The snake's venom is working its way through your body. It's eventually going to kill you. Ultimately, it does kill you, but Christ resurrects you and gives you the antidote. The venom is now working its way out of the body. But the reality is, is like all of us, we've been saved from the penalty of sin, but not fully from the presence of sin yet, right? There's still indwelling sin that has to be worked out of us, and that's part of the reversal of the curse. But what fundamentally changed at Calvary and then at the cross is that C.S. Lewis puts it this way in the uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe when Aslan says, you know, death itself has begun to work backwards, right? I'm a visual, right? So, and I'm also a Superman fan. So in Superman, in the, the old movie with Michael Reeves, you remember the part, I think it's in Superman 2, I could be wrong though, when he flies around the earth and reverses right? The, the rotation of the earth in order to save Lois, right? And he goes back in time. Picture it like that, right? So the globe is spinning in one direction. Calvary happens. The earth grinds to a halt. The resurrection takes place and the earth begins to spin backwards in the other direction. And you see this in multiple outworkings. So like one of the things that I talk about often is even just the direction of the flow of death to life, right? So under the old covenant, death was contagious, You couldn't touch a dead body without becoming unclean. You couldn't touch a leper without becoming unclean, right? Under the old covenant and the law was so heavy with how to remain pure in the midst of an unclean world. Because if if the clean and the unclean collided, the unclean made the clean unclean. But what happens when Christ comes? He goes around touching lepers, touching Young girls who died, right? That sounded weird. But. <laughs> that did sound weird. <laughs> I shouldn't. Have. Anyway, so, right. So the girl dies and Jesus comes and takes her by the hand and resurrects her, right? Every time in the New Testament, when Jesus cleanses and heals a leper, the text is very specific. He touches the leper. Mm. And so that's important because what we're seeing is the reversal of the flow Everything is not moving towards death anymore. Everything is now moving towards life. And now when the clean and the unclean collide, like the lepers in Jesus, the unclean becomes clean, right? So the flow has now been reversed. We think about this and you can see some imagery even in the resurrection, right? So death comes into the world through a garden. The curse comes into the world through a garden. And Jesus reverses the curse. How? By walking out of a garden tomb. The text is very specific that he's buried in a garden tomb, right? Mary mistakes him for the gardener, right? None of these little textual details are arbitrary. They're all there to conjure up the image that Christ is the last Adam. And as the last Adam, he has undone the curse that the first Adam did. He resurrects on what day of the week, Chris? First day of the week, right? Why? Because it's a new creation. Everybody who is listening to this who needs to be convinced is kind of going, okay, so that sounds okay, but this idea of newness, right? We're talking about a new heavens and a new earth, and this is fundamentally the same earth. Well, two things. Number one, famous verse, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 
when you were resurrected, like when you were made a new creation, which is what 2 Corinthians 5 is talking about, you weren't destroyed and recreated completely new. You look like the same old you, but you have been fundamentally remade. That's what we believe happened to the heavens and to the earth. Amen. Should we read like the part that people object to, like the Isaiah? Well, yeah. And so that's where I was going to go. So one of the things that people kind of object to, but I think when you go to Isaiah 65, so let's just go there in the text. Do you want me to just read the whole text? and then? We, yeah, we sure. Can, we can so you could start in like verse 17-ish, right? Beauty. Yeah. So bear in mind, when you get to this in your Bibles, I hope you're flipping to it now. The heading here isn't biblical. It's just the verses. So you have to read the verses with the context because they probably will say something like future heavens or new heavens and new earth or something like that in your scripture. Remember, that's added to the text. So I just right. say that to always because sometimes, sometimes those, are, sometimes, those headings affect the way we read them. And there's a lot of... Exactly. They, they frame yeah, what, what, totally. what the text is like is there. But anyway, let me read it. So this again, Isaiah 65, starting in verse 17. I'll just read to the end of the chapter and then we can talk about it. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall it be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days for a young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat for like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children in calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord, and their descendants will be with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the dust shall be like a serpent's foot. They shall not hurt or destroy in all of my holy mountain, says the Lord. Okay, there's so, there's yeah, lots. there's lots there, and uh, what we obviously don't have time to do is preach a whole sermon on this, but what we will do is ask some questions. Sure. So, if you believe that this is talking about the new heavens and the new earth that's inaugurated after whatever your eschatology is, after the second advent, right? So, Christ comes back, his last return, right? If that's when this takes place, then you have a few questions that you have to answer. Number one, why are there sinners, right? Absolutely. It says they're a sinner, a uh, hundred years old shall be accursed. So why are there sinners if this is after the end of human history and Christ is now here dwelling and uh, it's the physical, you know, millennial kingdom of Christ where he's reigning on the earth, why are there still sinners? Another question is why is there still death? It says here, the young man shall die a hundred years old. It talks about children not dying in infancy. It talks about old men who don't fill out their days. So there's still death in the new heavens and the new earth, right? So the questions that come to mind are, why is there still death? Why are there still sinners? If this is supposed to be a new heavens and a new earth that are created after this earth is destroyed, all evil is eradicated, we get our resurrected bodies here we are. Are those new resurrected bodies still mortal? They still die, right? Are we still subject to sin? Or when 
uh, what other scriptures say, when we see him, will we truly be like him and therefore sinless and sin eradicated from us because you can't have it both ways. So I don't think that this is talking about a time post Christ's final return when he's ruling on the earth, because when he's ruling on the earth, Revelation says there won't be any death. There won't be any sadness. There won't be any of that stuff anymore. That's not what this is talking about. Yeah. And you can even see in the, in the verses, some of the language is reversal of the curse, right? Like they shall not labor in vain, which we know part of the curse was that we men will toil and it will be, the work will be toilsome, right? Which is laboring in vain, like in vain, like it's labor. Well, it's not going to be like that in the new heavens and the new new earth when it's fulfilled. You know That's what I mean? Right. Like, there's a lot of that language that doesn't make sense if this is anywhere but heaven or this is like after the second coming. It doesn't make any sense because there's death here. You know what That's I mean? Right. Like, we see this and we can break this down and be like, okay, well, in that case, when is that? And that sounds a lot like today-ish. There's still people dying, but not yet where we are yet. You know what I mean? Right. It sounds like an already not yet kind of thing. Absolutely. Right? And so... A few questions that obviously need to be answered is this seems like a pretty high octane health, wealth, prosperity sort of thing, right? It's talking about your children, you know, not bearing children for calamity and, you know, you won't labor in vain and, you know, you'll enjoy a long life and you'll enjoy the fruits of your hands and you'll be blessed and all this kind of stuff. But what this is talking about is the, like you said, it's the reversal of the curse. At the end of the day, what was the curse? The curse, right, to man was the earth is no longer going to yield to you. In other words, the earth is no longer going to submit to you. So Adam was created as the ruler of the earth, right? God gave Adam dominion over the earth, but he gave him dominion in such a way that he was to extend God's rule and God's reign over the face of the earth. That's what taking godly dominion looks like. So when sin entered into the world because of Adam's transgression, one of the curses became the earth is no longer going to submit to your rule over it. It's going to actually resist. Your, you're going to have to, with the sweat of your brow, tame it now. And so what happened was thorns and thistles and sort of the earth is now working against man's taking dominion of it. Similarly, right, one of the mm-hmm. things that God told Eve was, you know, be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth, right? So the job, the task given to her for world dominion, for domination of the world or sorry, taking of dominion of the world, is Eve's childbearing, right? And her domestic duties as a wife. Well, now what was the curse on her? In pain, you're going to bring forth children and your desire is actually going to be for your husband's role. You are actually going to try to usurp his role and try to take leadership of that. So when it says in verse 23, they shall not labor in vain, he's talking about the reversal of of the curse uh, upon Adam, or bear children for calamity, or in calamity is uh, one way, or the actual translation of that for calamity is in sudden terror. So it's actually talking about this this idea that childbearing isn't a terrifying thing anymore. Well, you can imagine, like back in the day before women were having... I don't want to open up the can of worms about, uh, you know, drugs for, uh, for, for giving birth, uh, natural birth versus those who get an epidural and all that kind of stuff. But certainly childbearing was a dangerous thing for many, 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 many years of human history is the chances of the child making it through and chance of the woman making it through without infection and everything before we got some of the cleaning products and everything that we have when, you know, uh, sterile environments and all that kind of stuff. It would have been a terrifying thing. It would have been a scary thing because it 
could have meant the death of your child. It could have meant the death of the mother, right? There's lots of people who died in childbirth prior to. It says, and they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. So again, what are we talking about under the old covenant? Under the old covenant, all the children are given the mark of the covenant, right? They're given circumcision, but that didn't necessarily mean that they were saved. This is one of the reasons, so our credo baptism is coming out now. <laughs> Why do we not apply the covenant sign to the children in covenant households? Well, the reason we don't is because Hebrews 7 says that Jesus Christ is a perfect mediator. He's one who is able to save to the uttermost. And so when the new covenant is comprised solely of those who have been born again of the Spirit. And so because he is able to save to the uttermost, we wait until they have been saved to the uttermost, right? Before we apply the covenant sign. So again, it's talking about the ability for God to keep his own and for God to essentially save to the uttermost, right? To apply the finished work of salvation. And we know, of course, that that stretches backwards in time and forwards in time. And the, the work of Christ stretches to all those under the old covenant. But so, and then even when you talk about the lion lying down with the eat straw like the ox and the, the lamb and the wolf grazing together, you're getting a picture of sort of life back in Eden before there was predatory animals, because that all happened actually after Noah's flood, right? We, in, in Genesis 9, when he goes out, it talks about putting the fear of man into the livestock and that now people and animals were going to have to eat meat in order to survive. So it's actually talking about the reversal of that curse in terms of kind of going back to Eden. Now, we're not there in any of these things yet, but we have to understand that if this is talking about a new heavens and a new earth, it has to take place at a time when death still reigns and when sin is still prevailing because both sinners and those who die are present in the new heavens and the new earth. So what we would say is, again, that the curse was reversed at the resurrection that world started spinning in the opposite direction, but we are still in the process of that happening. And what is the means that God uses to bring about the reversal of the curse? Well, it's the applied work of Christ. And how does that get applied? Through the fulfillment of the Great Commission, through the fulfillment of the cultural mandate, go and take dominion. So every medical advancement, every agricultural advancement, every animal husbandry advancement done by men and women who are trying to take godly dominion is a work towards the reversal of the curse. Amen. This is why this verse is like so postmillennial, but nobody talks about it. Yeah. And if you get yourself into the mindset, you can think about the new heaven, you're in the new heavens and the new earth. When you think about the Old Testament before sin had really started to like fully infect everybody, everybody was cursed by it, but like, it did take generations to see the outcome of the fact that like you have to rationalize people live till 900 in the, yep. now we understand because of mutations and like breeding that like it, we died at longer times. Well, all of a sudden we get to the point where it's like a young man's going to die at 125. What does that look like? It looks like us on our way back That's to right. what it was like in, in the garden. And then like, and like it ends with that garden like imagery of, the animals are living in harmony together in peace with one another. And so like we get this idea of like all the, all the reversals of the curse, which means that that's, this is a, this is a verse projecting how human history is going to, is working its back up. Now we're not anywhere close to that. 
we're working towards that. Right. And so, I mean, obviously, I don't want to just start listing off all the post-millennial verses because this would be a very long podcast. But this is where you start to see those verses, the stone that becomes a mountain that fills the whole earth from Daniel 2, the mustard seed, all that kind of stuff. When you think specifically of that Daniel 2 vision where you have the kingdoms of man that are set up on the earth and then you have this stone that's carved out, not by human hands. We understand that to be, you know, made by God. And then it strikes the statue on its feet. And then that stone becomes a mountain that fills the whole earth. So you can think of human history, just like you were saying, picture a V, right? And so at, at the top of the V on the one side, you have the fall and you have this descent, right? And you see this descent throughout history. And what, what happens right at the bottom of the V is the resurrection, right? That's where the stone strikes the statue on its toe. But then that stone becomes a mountain that starts to fill the whole earth. And you work your way back up the V. And so it's not actually an I, right? So it's not an I that starts at the top and goes down to the bottom and gets back up to the top. Because we don't go back to a garden. We go to a garden city, Right. So Eden was a garden. But at the at the end, what do we see happen? We see heaven and earth sort of collide. And what that means is, is obviously the dwelling place of God and the dwelling place of man collide and come back together. And that's what Eden was. Eden was if you want to picture Eden. Oh, man, I'm just doing. Uh, but but this is actually helpful as well. Picture an eight. Right. And so if you look at an eight where the circles touch is, right, is Eden. Yeah. Right. That's Eden. Because it was the place where God dwelt and man dwelt, right? And even when you picture it, according to Isaiah and Jeremiah, they talk about Eden as a mountain. Obviously, it also talks about Eden as a garden. Well, where was the place of the gods, right? You look at throughout mythology, the, the gods lived in gardens and on mountains, right? Eden was the garden mountain that is where heaven and earth touched. So in Revelation, when you have heaven and earth coming back together, that's where heaven and earth touch. But it's not just a garden anymore. It's a garden city. What does a city speak of? A city speaks of man's progress. The first city that's actually named in scripture is the city that Cain built when he was banished from the covenant community of God. And he goes and it says he builds a great city in the land of Nod, right? The land of wandering. So the first city we see in scripture is an evil rival city. But what we see at the end of human history is a city that is a garden city. It's the city of God. It has the aspects of Eden woven into human progress. And that's what a city is. And so what you actually get back to, you get back to Eden in terms of the Edenic shalom and peace of God, but with the city, which is man's progress. And that's always been the cultural mandate is take God's raw creation and create with it, right? So you go and you make the rest of the world look like this Eden, but it's your job to go and to tame it. That's what Christ made possible when he resurrected from the grave, inaugurated a new creation, inaugurated a new heavens and a new earth, was now this is an earth that because we can deal with the sin in our own hearts, we can also tame the sin that's infected the world around us. Awesome. I love it. I feel like I have to do a, a letter now too. Um, and <laughs> go so like, for one. To explain this away, I would say then you have to make a W. So <laughs> it's like you peak and you go back up and then that's you go right. down again. Yeah, like, right. And like, the, like that's just not in scripture. So like, that's like funny. That's BVs, good. not Ws. I don't know if that makes any sense at all. I always use you. I Like when you threw me off when you said V, I was like, because I always think you. Like, I was oh, like, yeah, yeah. Um, but see, I wanted, the, like, I wanted like an apex point. 
right? Like I wanted like yeah, a, a, a point, and Rather I think that, that's the, the, the middle the, of the U. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. V's a much better one. I just oh, well, it hey. gave me the W joke, so that's that's good. That is but good. no, I think that I think that's great. And so, like, I would say for post millennial people, this should be one of the trump card ideas. Start thinking about the idea that you're in the new heavens and the new earth. But if you're not post millennial and you're still listening to us after all this time. You have to reconcile with yeah. the idea of like where what, where is that when is that exactly and, I, and I've heard of some people talk then about well in the millennial reign of Christ when he comes back to the earth there's going to be a time before death is finally defeated and that's when people will live but they can still go up to the intermediary state and first thing I would say is I don't think you find that anywhere in the Bible you've just created that so that you can make sense of Isaiah sixty five but on yeah. top of that. The other problem that that creates is it makes 1 Corinthians 15 wrong because that means Christ comes back and death is not the last enemy to be defeated. It's actually the first enemy to be defeated, right? So I think you're creating an unbiblical category and you put yourself in conflict with other areas of scripture. So, absolutely, yeah. So we're in the new heavens and the new earth. This is an earth that can be tamed. And this is why... Doug Wilson said post-millennialism is a lot more fun <laughs> because we actually believe we are now living on the earth that we will spend the rest of eternity on, which means that what we do on this earth matters, which is why Christians ought to be the most concerned about environmental issues. Not the same way the world is. We're not climate alarmists, but we are good stewards. We're called to have dominion. Yeah. We should care about the diversity of creation, preserving the diversity of creation, saving endangered species. We should care about all that stuff because God cares about all that stuff. Yeah. And because we're going to live here. Right? And because we live here forever. So, yeah. So. Amen. All well, right. I hope that helped, guys. Yeah. See you next time. Peace.